Hi, I'm Paul, and this is Our Connect Sessions. Today, Donna, Ken, and I are sharing the next group of conversations in part two of our six-part series, talking with individuals in the architecture and design industry, basically checking in to see how the community is navigating this unprecedented time. Donna, Ken, how are you guys doing? I'm doing fine, but not well. It, it is very, I mean, things are just very stressful. Our state, Indiana, there's a lot of confusion over what really, when we're reopening, when are people going back to work? And I am caught up in a very, very big, busy project. I'm working 60 hour weeks right now and I'm not enjoying it at all because the 60 hours on top of all of the just day-to-day -day stress of dealing with pandemic brain, I'm really tired and stressed out. But I'm eager to talk about our, our three people that we uh, are introducing today because I feel like, yeah, it just reminds me we architects are all in many ways dealing with the same kinds of issues. Ken, you are uh, also working, working hard. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So um, I just started my new new job this week and, new job uh, yeah <laughs> yeah and uh our state today our governor is going to let us know that we are still sheltering in place until june 12th um that's the expectation today and i just had a flash come through about wisconsin the corrupt state supreme court there has just thrown out the governor's um stay-at-home order saying it was unconstitutional so that's the stuff we're dealing with right now. And that's the thing that's driving most of my anxiety is that the right thing is hard to do, but at the same time, it's uh, no one's quite sure what the right thing is to do. So, How about out in L.A.? Paul, yeah, how's it going out there? I mean, there's similarities across the country right now. I think, I think one consistent theme is that nobody knows what to expect there you know it's it's interesting you know how we're all kind of used to living in a in a bubble in our social media and and real life worlds where there's kind of this division that is kind of politically driven but now there's a, there's a lot more division when it comes to the promotion of you know getting back to daily life trying to ease the restrictions and people want to be careful. I think, I think it's becoming a little bit less politically driven and a little bit more financially driven. I, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, here in California, I really get the feeling, well, in LA in particular, I get the feeling that people are becoming much more relaxed. I'm seeing a lot more cars on the road. I'm seeing, oh yeah, I'm seeing a lot more people without masks in stores and stuff like that, but the numbers are not necessarily showing that it's that everybody should feel confident in easing up and reducing the you know their their level of caution when it comes to covid but yeah you know it's as i said nobody knows how this is going to evolve but anyways i'm looking forward to sharing the next three conversations as as donna just mentioned we've got three another set of three diverse voices we have people we have a a woman from chicago a uh, a man from Oakland and an architect uh, based in Berlin. So it's a lot of geographical diversity and uh, and a lot of diversity in, in experience and perspective here. So why don't we get started uh, with our first conversation? This is with a, uh, a commercial interior designer based in Chicago. Her name is Autumn Godwin Hoffmeyer. And as you'll as you'll see, she kind of represents the Worst luck you can get in terms of jobs and her career and just timing with with recessions and economic slowdowns. So let's let's take a listen to her conversation now. So my name is Autumn Godwin. Uh, I go by Autumn Hoffmeyer as well. I 
legally, I'm still my maiden name, but I've been married for over 10 years, just never changed my name. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, professionally, I do use my husband's last name. So I've been in the industry for, it's kind of like a loosey-goosey number because of, you know, previous economic downturns. But um, I can safely say 15 plus years of experience uh, in the industry, predominantly here in Chicago. So I graduated uh, from undergrad in uh, from interior design in University of Cincinnati, and so I came into the workforce 2005. Um, did um, you know a smattering of work across the country in uh, that time until 2009, when the local market started to you know that first little dive there 2008-9. At that point, I was working on local projects. And in healthcare. So at the time, um, healthcare was still a good market sector to be in. Um, however, firms were making decisions at the time, and I was a junior designer, and so therefore wasn't really you know critical to the the design process, and was laid off, and then went to um, Smith Gill, uh, which was doing. Um, a lot of work in the United Arab Emirates until projects there started to dry up um, about a year after that. So I've worked for some uh, various uh, firms since then, but uh, I took that time uh, as an opportunity to get my master's of architecture. So um, so that was 2009 and 10. Um, I got my master's of architecture over um, in the UK. I am still um, a corporate commercial interior designer. So a lot of my projects tend to be head, uh, company corporate headquarters to higher ed, living at dining facilities to hospitals, which I, um, during the last like three years, uh, I was at HOK. I did focus on healthcare, uh, ground up new construction hospitals, um, where I, you know, was traveling to two to three cities a week. Uh, so I, you know, I'm pretty adept at working remotely. Um, so my level, I guess, within um, a firm would be a, considered a senior level position um, as a designer. I'm not a design director. Um, that's people who who oversee many more projects at a, at a higher level and, you know, with direct connection to decision makers within the, the uh, client side of things. Um, I still do present to the clients, get their buy-in, work with them directly on the vision and the, you know, kind of rollout of, of construction. So, so that kind of covers a, a lot. Um, I also do international work where coordinating with a design team that's global and doing 7 a.m., 7 p.m. check-ins because that tends to work, again, based in Chicago. But I am unemployed and find myself just trying to fill the time with being proactive and getting every, like every firm right now is providing their own kind of insight into what they see the future of our industry as being. And so there's a couple of concerns that I think need to be relayed. And um, it comes, and sure, there's the bigger picture of how long will this progress? Uh, how will this come back? You know, there's from science magazines, uh, their studies have said that we might be needing to do social distancing through 2022. And that's kind of puts the industry of architecture, design, and construction at odds with, uh, you know, needing to provide adequate 
design and construction for projects such as hospitals that still have to go through their renovations or expansions or new facilities. And, you know, I'm speaking with some of my past coworkers who, um, you know, lead at the design and technology level, and they're finding it hard even for um, designing laboratories to provide casework because um, there's uh, delays in production. And, you know, when we think about providing an interior space that uh, you can wipe down with Clorox, with, you know, or, you know, having upholsteries that you can either upgrade or kind of fold into the process. So typically we see, you know, a project goal of like $30 a square foot for furniture. And that's actually being modest. But if you, uh, so for example, if we have a 40,000 square foot project, you have an, an anticipated $30 a square foot for furniture, and that's $1.2 million. So if you want to increase your upholstery standards to either withstand being steam cleaned, so that's going to be natural materials such as wool versus being bleach cleanable. So that's, you know, another added bottom line cost to your upholstery and you increase that to like $35 a square foot. And so that for that same 40,000 square foot project, you need to anticipate $1.4 million to furniture. And so that's an increase of of $200,000 just in upholstery alone. And so to have your clients understand that now coming in is something that we have to adapt to, to understand if, you know, if this is what our new goals are. And kind of coming back to how currently a lot of firms are, you know, they can't just decrease salary and or they, they can't furlough, they, they may fully like lay off staff and you lose, you know, all the training that you've done. Um, you have a loss of institutional memory because people are leaving the industry because I'm honestly just holding on by a thread. Like, do I want to <laughs> maintain my career in a profession that is so subject to the the ups and downs of economy? Um, and that's well, why you, I really, yeah. I mean, it's, I commend you for sticking with it because you seem to have really had bad luck with timing. I mean, it, uh, yeah. you, <laughs> you, you, you graduated just uh, uh, three just years before, before yeah. the big recession. The big recession back mm-hmm. in 2008, 2009, just wiped mm-hmm. out the architecture and design industry. Mm-hmm. And then, and then your, your next job aligned with the, the United Arab Emirates uh, recession. And now, now you're facing this. I mean, it's, that's a lot. That's, that's a lot for somebody that's been in the field for 15 years. What are you like, I, what are you taking from the last recession with you? You know, mm-hmm. are there any kind of lessons that, that you learned yourself in, in kind of staying, sticking with it and, and mm-hmm. dealing with this type of major challenge that you're sure. taking with you now? Yeah. And, and really it is that stick to because granted, you know, last time I did get a master's uh, degree um, in that downtime and Currently, that is that's not an option because I'm still trying to pay off that loan. So, I do that. You know, there is the the it does come back. Um, there will be work, and when there's the saying, feast or famine, right? And during times of feasting, 
what you what we typically go through as an industry is an overwork of our staff and ourselves. We get overburdened by too many projects going too fast. For example, um, previously a project would go like a standard length of design work for a project would be 12 weeks. What I've been seeing over the last couple of years is 10 and eight weeks, which is nonsense. It's not sustainable. So this is why I have taken to really promoting um, the architecture lobby and becoming and, and um, uh, creating a union for our, our architects and designers, because it is, we, we don't want to keep losing this institutional memory. So in this time, I'm to keep telling myself to continue um, my education um, and there's a there like I, I mentioned there's a lot coming from like every firm out there has a you know this is what we need to do what we're looking at it's okay there there's a lot of noise out there and if you just think of things practically and how it affects your specific position and so that's why I you know started to talk about upholstery well I mean upholstery is not my life like that's not um generally typically what I do I'm you know definitely a making space within uh, reason and doing a lot of um, what's called intuitive wayfinding so upholstery is just like a minor piece to this but it is something that is important and and does affect the client's bottom line so I think it's Taking the time to reflect <laughs> and kind of because we we are you know I, I am able to collect unemployment and so just trying to maintain a sense of calm and collectedness because if if you freak out and then you try to just get a job somewhere you put yourself in danger of maybe you know going into one of these quote unquote essential positions where you are putting yourself out there. That's different from last time. So the one consistency, though, the, between then and now, I think, is to just hold on. Just hang tight. The industry will come back. There will be, again, a feast. But if we can temper ourselves and spread the work out, let your you know managers know when you are being overworked, because the more people we can bring back to the industry or bring into the industry will help us to maintain this when it happens again. And again, that's the, the argument for having a union is to maintain our institutional memory, keep advancing the industry as a way to support our civilization and our culture. And, you know, we are adaptable and the longer you stick on like there will be a job for me when things come back I know it Mm -hmm. um, just as last time because there will be a point again when we're back to the feast and there are empty seats at the table that need to be filled but it's times when we're in the famine which, Mm -hmm. which is now which is no work to be done People feel like, I'll just, okay, I'll say I feel. I feel like unless I'm doing something productive, I'm being a waste of space. And so I am, you know, helping my friends out here and there, just trying to maintain connection because 
things will come back. We will have more work. We'll have more work than we can handle. And we need the people to, to help. And it sounds like part of your story in particular, I mean, it's the story of all of us that are in the architecture industry, but um, mm-hmm. especially your experience has shown that there probably needs to be changes to the industry to make it a more sustainable mm-hmm. industry. It sounds like, you know, there needs to be more value in architectural design, uh, you know, uh, connected with just the general population so mm-hmm. that we can demand these that can make our industry more more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, it, I mean, ongoing recessions will continue happening. It's yeah. inevitable. But hopefully we can do something to the industry that will make it have less of a negative impact mm-hmm. on, the, on the people that work in, yeah. the, in the industry. Definitely. And, um, and I, I also so promote the, um, because it, it is, it, 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 I think people at my level, so a senior design level, um, we are, I think, pretty sparse because of that, you know, 2008-9 downturn re- recession. And that, you know, you only really get to do like a lot of travel as required for your work when you get to a senior level position. Some junior designers do get that, but um, that's few and far between. But for for people who are, you know, now required to work remotely, it's only I think to to our advantage that we have that experience. And so recently, I found myself working for a firm because um, I made a change from being, you know, working at a large multinational firm and doing these international projects and, you know, traveling all the time to working for a firm that was local and had a lot of local projects. And then, you know, trying to wrap my head around, the, you know, Chicago building code and, and all of that. But then, you know, I was, I'd only been there for nine months when, you know, all of this started happening. And, and then I was subsequently laid off because I felt like I didn't really make myself, you know, a critical position to the team. Uh, and then, you know, again, all the work was local. So even within though the small local office, I did get my team to work within, you know, these programs such as Bluebeam Studio and Sessions, as well as promoting the collaboration for Revit or BIM 360. I forget which one it's called now, but I've worked, you know, within these programs and became adept at instructing or collaborating through these programs in a way that, you know, I was, you know, getting the team on board with, you know, doing the, um, doing some higher educational projects and the designers there, you know, came, came to it and, and we started to, you know, get a, get a rhythm there, but um, it does take some work to be able to function remotely and to interpret, you know, direction through these methods. So I think the advancements that, you know, are coming are good. And I, I honestly, I think that design is almost built for remote work. Because there are a number of times where I'm like, I didn't have to come to the site to see this. <laughs> like, you could have sent me a photo, did a, you know, did a 360, done a, a you know, a camera view, um, something, and we could have walked through this. But some, you know, there are, there is, you know, the argument to, to be made for, for in-person work, sure. So, I mean, the lessons, I guess, were, were or, or the, the skills that we're all being forced to become mm-hmm. masters at, you know, remote working, Zoom. Could potentially 
help the industry become a, yeah. a kind of a leaner, more efficient industry, which in mm-hmm. turn could could make it more sustainable and healthy. So that's that's a really good point that we're that we're adopting new techniques that that can continue mm-hmm. to make to make a, a, a healthier yeah. workplace. Yeah. Yeah, unless, you know, travel required, but still getting work done. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your insight and sharing your perspective. I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah, no problem. And thanks for um, collecting and <laughs> getting this together and um, keeping us connected. So I really enjoyed listening to Autumn. And it, she <laughs> she just represented to me so much of what we in, across our field face. She has this really specific knowledge it, and it's valuable knowledge. It's knowledge that clients should be welcoming. She can say to you, you know, you, if you, when she says something about, um, if you want to go with the antimicrobial fabric on your th- hospital, it's going to be, you know, it's $2 a square foot more for 200,000 square yards of fabric, like it's going to it's going to add up to a whole lot of money. But she knows that up front because she has that knowledge. But clients don't want to hear it. It's like they don't want to hear the bad news we have to tell them so frequently. So even though we have valuable knowledge to share so frequently, we're sort of being told, well, just don't, you know, don't don't tell them that. Don't tell them it'll really cost that much because they won't want to deal with it. And then you end up looking like the bad guy, even though you have that amazing amount of knowledge. I mean, I'm not a practicing architect, but you guys both are. Do you feel like, how much of that do you feel is like kind of insecurity on behalf of the designer or the architect in in, uh, sharing the the cost of of services and, and just work with clients than it is about the actual response from clients about about costs that might might exceed what they expect. If I can just go ahead and blow right into the terrible language. I was in a phone call today with contractors and it was just, you know, it was a big dick swinging contest. I think they are more comfortable with swinging their knowledge around than in our field <laughs> we we are because we tend to get so beaten down by it. So yeah, I do think a lot of it is just an attitude thing that we don't have that self-confidence. There are architects out there who have the self-confidence to say your building's going to cost $300 a square foot. And if you don't like it, fine, go find someone else to work for. Yeah, but, you know, I, I that's a that's a big swing right there. What you just said, Donna, it's, it's really, it really is. I, I was, you know, my last job, I had a contractor, the uh, the demolition crew needed to bring out a uh, um, one of those those lifts to take down some backboards in this in this gymnasium. And the slab was just poured and, and they weren't sure. They weren't sure about the engineering if it could hold that lift. And, you know, it's a concrete slab, so I don't really think it was a big deal. But the contractor was, you know, saying, hey, you know, can you look at this? I'm like, I'm not going <laughs> to structural engineer. And he goes, well, I talked to the structural engineer and they want they won't look at it unless they're getting paid. I said, well, OK, what's the problem? <laughs> and he goes, well, I'm afraid to go talk to the owner about it. And I said, OK, let me lay this out for you. We already know how this guy works. Right. We already know that if you hold back information from the owner, he's going to be more pissed off if something bad happens. So I don't really care, really don't care what it costs. But do you want to be on the other end of that when you bring that lift out, the slab isn't cured enough to the the, the correct bearing capacity and you bring that out and you crack the slab and it's got to be redone? You want to tell the owner that because you were afraid to ask him for a thousand dollars? I mean, I really have no problem telling an owner the truth which is, you know, unvarnished. And I'm not pulling any punches when it comes to stuff. But, you know, at the same time, I think, you know, hearing about $2 a yard or $2 a a square yard for, for, you know, what, I mean, I I don't know what our owners are going to expect 
I mean, we're here we are, we're caught in between a rock and a hard place. And I'm going to be telling the hard truth very fast and very upfront. You want to open, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And like the, the firm I'm working for now is, is you know, they're, they're connecting with the CDC. They're connecting with states about how to infection control man- management processes, engineering processes. And you're finding out that you're going to have to change hardware and surfaces, and it's going to be big fucking dollars. But how else are you going to open? I mean, so again, I'm getting off a little bit, but I think she really does a great job of exp- of kind of, like you said, Donna, this not this embedded knowledge is not it's not just somehow that's what we should be paid for right is the knowledge that we carry with us and she seems to really understand that pretty well she does and like you said as we head into this now post covid design world we we are going to have to have those hard conversations i'm in the midst of conversations right now about food and i think we talked about this before about food service like in a food court going completely cashless. And what does that mean? It means that a whole lot of people get cut out because yeah. a whole lot of people in the community don't have yeah, credit exactly. cards. But if again, if we have that knowledge, and I think you're absolutely right, Ken, that we need to be brave enough to just say it, to say, yes, this is my experience. I have the, I, yeah, I have this knowledge. This knowledge is valuable. You're paying me for it. I'm giving it to you. If you don't like hearing it, then you know we'll figure out a way to work around it or we'll figure out a way to work within it. But yeah, the conversations around how we build in a post-COVID world are going to be really hard. Yeah, and I, I guess, I guess what I mean is that they're hard, but they're. I think they are easier when you tell. You just say it. Just, I mean, I don't know if they're hard anymore. They're hard. Exactly. They're hard. Exactly. Pre-COVID, trying to tell, try to tell a hospital that they need to have all these antibacterial, microbial, or whatever surfaces. You tell them that six months ago, and you tell them it's going to cost two dollars a square foot then, or two dollars a square yard then. They're not going to do it now. You just say the life of your patient or the fucking money to pay for this fabric and just end the discussion. I mean, this, that's how it's, that's how it's going to go. And it's like, exactly. we're not going to, we're not adding gold toilets. We're not adding gold toilets. Sorry, but we're going to be, you know, having to cater to these, to these things. And it's just, it's, it's not hard. I don't think it is. I mean, I think it's a good point, especially right now to bring this up because, you know, when there's a recession, architecture industry feels it a lot. And part of that is because it seems like architects don't or the the industry doesn't value itself as much as it should, you know, and and part of that is is demanding fees that that can provide a sustainable business that can that can pay employees a a salary that that is worth the the time that they've put towards studying and and uh training you know i think so this is a time to start kind of reevaluating the worth of of uh the industry and start demanding the kind of the kind of uh, payments and and respect from from clients you know what? we're not the only ones doing it the food industry is doing it they're having a come to jesus moment right now they're they're going how the hell absolutely they and i never understood what they were talking about in the margins but they said listen you know the chicken that we put on your table today has only gone up maybe 10% in the past 30 years, <laughs> 10%. Everything else has escalated. Costs have escalated. Uh, you know, soft costs, all that all that stuff has escalated, but the, the product they're putting on the table hasn't really gone up. So now they're going, this isn't a working model anymore. And it, this, it took this stupid thing by this... And that's the funny thing about all this, right? We have an idiot running this, running this country, <laughs> but he's showing the fundamental flaws within us and within capitalism. And there's some, there is some benefit in that. As much as we hate it, as much as it pains 
that, that, that we're, everyone's going through that, you know, Donna and, and my ex-wife have just gone through all of these experiences. There's at the other side of this, there's going to be a lot of lessons learned and we're going to be better for it. And that's a fucking, that's the hard, you want to hear a hard truth? That's the hard truth. Telling some fucking asshole who runs a hospital that he's going to have to pay 30% more for his building six months later. That's an easy one. That's a low-hanging fruit. Okay, so that to me leads really nicely into Daniel, who was the next one we were going to talk about. Because Daniel talked about how construction costs and things were going to change. So should we uh, should we lead into Daniel now? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, This is actually one of those fairly positive stories. I mean, the the practice he's in right now has not they're 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 still hiring. They're not they haven't felt much of an impact yet. I think the keyword is yet among many architecture firms as well as just businesses in general. But yeah, this is Daniel Mason, project architect and project manager in Oakland, California. So, my name's Daniel and I'm a project architect at Piatok Architects in Oakland. And we have been a firm that specializes in multifamily housing in high-density environments, primarily the Bay Area, although a little bit in Seattle uh, as well, for about 35 years. Actually, our firm is 36 years old this year. The firm was started by Mike Piatok, who is uh, still in the firm as, as a partner emeritus. And we are in a unique position, uh, not not unique in that we're the only firm in the Bay Area that has this, but we're one of a handful of firms that focus primarily, and for us, it's exclusively on multifamily housing as, as the centerpiece of our portfolio. And in addition, about 50% of our portfolio is uh, affordable, which is primarily nonprofit uh, developers who are working with various funding mechanisms to build housing that is permanently affordable. And then 50% of our portfolio is market rate high density housing. We have been very fortunate to, and, and frankly, just a stroke of luck that housing has been deemed an essential service such that construction of market rate high density housing has been allowed to continue even during shelter in place in the Bay Area. We have had one project affected that was in construction. It's about midway through that through various reasons, but uh, was was forced to to stop under the revised shelter-in-place order issued at the beginning of April. And what that order said was any housing that doesn't have at least 10% affordable components uh, built into the program will need to stop construction, which was an interesting decision given that obviously COVID affects everyone. It doesn't matter if your project has 10% affordable or no affordable, right? So all the workers are going to be at the same risk. Uh, so there's some kind of politics at play there. That project is hoping to be able to move forward with, through some negotiations with the jurisdiction. We have not seen a drop-off in our workflow. Uh, And again, it is a stroke of luck that has landed that way for us. 
We were in the middle of hiring when shelter-in-place hit, and we are onboarding several new employees virtually right now, which is a challenge, but we're getting through it. And we anticipate a strong second quarter, possibly a weaker third quarter. We're concerned about the fourth quarter, and we have no idea what's going to happen by the first quarter of next year. Our biggest concerns are that projects, which are still moving forward now because the funding mechanisms had already been triggered and money was in the pipeline, might start to freeze up. And so whereas uh, our projects at all phases are still moving forward right now, they may start hitting hurdles uh, depending on how long the economy remains relatively frozen. Another aspect that is going to start coming into play is that our not-for-profit developers, which are using as a uh, significant funding source tax increment financing, are concerned that tax revenues are going to go down and therefore tax increment financing funding streams are going to take a hit. And once those take a hit, unless there is some emergency funding measure passed at a federal level, to facilitate or be a stopgap, then necessarily a lot of those not-for-profit projects are going to face some major challenges getting funding and continuing to move forward once we get into the fourth quarter and into the new year. So we as a firm are doing financial forecasting that is looking forward and trying to anticipate how COVID and the economic freeze are going to play out. And we're looking at different um, crude models for how that might affect cash flow and, and project dynamics. And it's really challenging because we don't know, nobody knows when is shelter in place going to be lifted? When are market rate projects going to be able to start up again? What is the funding going to look like in the near future? Are market rate and commercial developers, are they going to be able to access financing in the same way that they were before? And then in the Bay Area, we have projects that are already facing major challenges because construction is so hyperinflated here right now that we have projects constantly going either on temporary or more permanent holds or essentially going through multiple rounds of value engineering in order to get to a point where they can make the project pencil. We had been seeing high single and even double digit percentage cost increases year over year for about seven years, maybe eight years here in the Bay Area. And it just wasn't showing signs of slowing down, even right before COVID hit. And what we are curious about, and everyone's curious about, is how is this going to affect construction pricing? And the sort of crude estimate right now is that it's not really going to help. If anything, we're going to see a loss of some amount of the workforce in the same way we did during the Great Recession, that you know, once everything starts back up again, there's going to be pent up demand for getting these projects in the ground. And we may, in fact, see the reverse of, of cost pressure decrease 
in that we might see construction continue to inflate at an even greater rate of, of cost escalation, which would be an absolute nightmare. So we are wary of that as well. A little bit about my background. I have about 18 years experience and I am a project manager, project architect responsible for multiple large-scale residential mixed-use high-density projects here in the Bay Area that are in different phases of design development and construction. I think that's that's what I've got for you. Okay. Yeah, I am, um, I'm a practitioner as well here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, actually. And uh, <clears throat> I used to work at a firm that did multifamily residential as well. And it, it's it's kind of had a pause here. And I think when I drive around to the sites, because I do, <laughs> at, right now I'm working remotely. And when uh, at the end of the day, I actually tour the city to see what's going on. And I see them starting to slowly get back their force, their workforce into uh, into the construction process. So it seems like they, they took a pause for a couple of weeks trying to figure out how to work safely. And right. I think now they're now they're getting back into the mode of actually producing or working again. So, um, so what what are you what is your sector that you're in now? What do you focus on right now? So I am in justice work, doing uh, oh, okay local county jails and courthouses. And um, how has that work been affected? You know, it because it's a it's interesting. It's a need, not a want. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the state mandates, you have to upgrade your facility or they shut you down. So I've got a project in North Dakota, uh, a couple projects here in Minnesota and one over in Wisconsin. So, but it's the, you know, it's the same kind of thing, you know, I'm work, being, working remotely. It's, it's interesting because I actually like the idea of, uh, of working remotely and I find that I, I'm working better in that environment, but it's still challenging. You really can't have, um, that face-to-face and, and even trying to get onto the site is a little challenging. And um, I'm tracking what um, CMs are doing for to protect their their subcontractors and and the um, the populations that are already in place and can't move. So that's been interesting. Yeah. Well, one other thing I forgot you touched on something that I forgot to mention that the remote work. So our firm quickly went from having some remote capacity, and we're a we're a forty four person firm right now, to to very quickly ramping up within a week to a hundred percent remote capacity, and it was an, an, a Herculean effort by the IT staff to get us to that point. And it's certainly not perfect, but we have been able to make it work and it's it's a, a testament to really everyone involved that we were able to 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 make to you know figure out how to get everyone working remotely very very quickly but it comes with its own challenges so uh, you know obviously we're doing what most other people are doing is we're using virtual meetings through zoom and microsoft teams and go to meeting whatnot but you know for a lot of us and, and i'm included you know, we have two full-time working parents. We no longer have childcare help. I have two young children and they, and so I'm also their teacher and while working full-time. And so that has become an incredible burden for us to manage. 
And so it's really like having two jobs. And so, whereas I'm incredibly happy to have a job at all, uh, there's also the challenge of having to, to homeschool and, and, and do childcare as well. So just wanted to point that out as another yeah. thing that has, you know, that COVID has made challenging. So, you know, the, the one thing that, that our podcast has been known to do talk about is, I don't know if you've listened uh, to it, but uh, how, one of the things I like to ask is, you know, get at is like, how are you doing personally? I mean, I hear what you're saying about the business and how's your, because Donna, uh, for instance, um, her, she had a parent pass away in hospice. And, you know, this is all, all this is like, it's throwing everybody up in the air. How, how have you been? How has that been? How has this, how's this been mentally for you dealing with all this? So personally, it has been challenging as it has for everyone. And I think everyone is facing some demons that, you know, came out of the closet while you are self-isolating. But, you know, I, I feel I feel like it's really allowed me to focus on what are the most important things in my life. And so for me, it's my family, it's my health, it's my children, it's my home environment, uh, making uh, and making the best of every day that we have. And that has been almost magical in a way, um, allowing, you know, slowing down, really taking stock and, and, and taking big breaths of fresh air, going out for family walks. I've really enjoyed that. Now that said, as we're nearing or we're, we're past a month of shelter in place here in the Bay area. And, you know, that sort of magical feeling has started to wear off a little bit. And now it's kind of like, well, when are we going to be able to go somewhere again? When are we going to be able to go to the ocean or do some of the things that we used to do and we used to take for granted? When are we able to go to a gathering? When am I going to be able to go to a conference or a meeting or see other people? You know, those are the kinds of questions that, that are that come up multiple times a day for, for me, for us. And when am I going to be able to see my extended family again? You know, it's just, I think these are questions that everyone is grappling with, but I would say primarily it's been a mixed bag of feeling like I've really slowed down. I'm really taking stock. I'm really happy to have everything that I have. And there's a lot of fear as well. It's like, how bad is this going to get? Am I going to get sick? Is my family going to get sick? And how would that play out? And so there's also that element. Yeah. Daniel, I, I certainly do appreciate you taking the time today to talk uh, about your um, circumstances. And, and in a lot of ways, you expressed a lot of what I've been going through. It took me about two weeks to finally have us all kind of settle in and kind of get to back to something that resembles a normal. Yeah. Whatever the normal is during this period. It took a little while. So, but yeah. Yeah, the beginning was frankly really scary, and because it, it was scary for so many reasons, but I think primarily it was scary because it's like, is everyone going to all of a sudden get this virus, and and the whole world is going to stop? And and the and in some ways the whole world has stopped, but not in the way that I thought it would. You've expressed exactly what I thought too. I, I was like, wait, this is all coming. Out. There's like nothing. 
wait, wait, wait. I'm trying to like, I'm like, I was telling somebody, I said, it's like that dream, that nightmare that you have where you're falling and you're trying to grab for the ladder rung and you're always like within a fingertip of it and you could just never grab it. That's how it felt. I'm like, this is just yeah. spinning out of control. That's right. Yeah. So I'm glad that it sounds like at least the both of us are able to at least grab onto a ladder rung at the moment. At the moment. Yeah. Well, thank you again. Thank you a lot. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Ken, would you like to kind of start out with your thoughts on this since you uh, had this conversation? So I think Daniel was one of my first conversations. So um, hearing, hearing it again um, is quite painful. <laughs> Because I, I'm, you know, I had a basic, had a basic understanding of how how we wanted this to go, but I really felt myself like searching and can I approach this last piece of information? One of the things I've really gathered from all these conversations and the ones that I've had is how much more professional people are to me than I see myself. I mean, I'm, I'm a real hard. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I don't. I, when talking to Daniel, I'm like, this guy is, has been in the profession for fewer years than I've been in the profession. But he sounds so much more with it and together, and has a presence of mind to kind of self be really self aware and and able to grasp the the things that I'm still struggling to um, manage. But I figured I I knew that there was something I wanted to do differently in this on my discussion because because. Uh, one of the things that I've been saying to people is that early on, the first 10 days of all of this, when this first started to happen, I had just got back from uh, Florida. With um, I'd spent a couple of days down there with my mom and uh, Linda. And it hit me pretty, all this stuff hit me pretty hard. And it felt like it was happening to me. Like I couldn't, you know, and it sounds strange to say that out loud. And even just to even think about it, like it's happening to everybody, but it felt like this is very personal to me. Like, why is this happening to me? And and I was going kind of nuts and feeling very scared and very disconnected and not really feeling like this is going to end well and I'm going to come out on the other side of this. But it took some time. It took about, like I said, about 10 days. And I finally started to stop watching a lot of news, stop paying attention to the Johns Hopkins data, uh, which is great data, but it was just, it was overwhelming me. And so I wanted to ask Daniel and I, I think I ask most people the same question is that, how are you doing? Because I'm trying to get a sense of how people, is this just me or is it everybody? Yeah. And, and I mean, I, his, his, Daniel's experience, but to me was so, um, and I love that you asked that question because it so parallels my own and what I feel like I'm seeing with lots of people, not just in the architecture world, but among my friends and whatnot, that yes, there's a great appreciation and realization and loving the fact that you're able to be with your family and you're learning, starting to revalue the things that are very important, like health and family and safety and loving one another. But underlying it all is still, yes, this huge panic that we are all facing right now. But he was able to sort of frame it as, well, there's the good and the bad, and I'm going to keep rolling with both. I also loved that, that or I, no, didn't love, was concerned at the way he talked about construction uh, pricing being completely out of control and unpredictable pre-COVID. And coming out of it, we, I think, I think construction cops are just going to keep going up. I don't see this. Uh, you know, I frequently said to clients, oh, just wait for a recession, then the, everything will be cheap to build again. I don't see things being cheap to build after this, based on a lot on what Daniel was saying and his knowledge, his very deep knowledge of the uh, of the industry. So, yeah, I think uh, the cost of buildings just going to keep keep going up. Yeah. Let's move on to our next 
our next conversation. This was with Casey McSweeney, an architect in Berlin. Casey and I actually studied architecture together at SciArc way back, like 20 years ago. And uh, he's got an interesting uh, background. He's he's an American. He studied architecture in the U.S. and then and then in uh, the U.K. Uh, got a job at Graft after graduating with his master's degree and kind of struggling through the the first recession uh, in his career back in 2008 2009. So he got a job at Graft in in China in Beijing and worked there for a number of years. And then um, as Graft's office kind of began to consolidate to into their uh, Berlin office. He moved along with the rest of the team and has been in Berlin now for about five years, I believe. So, uh, so he's got, he's got experience in, in the U S China and Berlin. And as you'll see in the conversation, um, there's some interesting comparisons to make. So this is Casey McSweeney architect at Graft in Berlin. So you've been, You've been in China for, for, you were in China for five years. You've been working with Graft. You were in China for five years, and now you've been in, in uh, Berlin for five years. Is that right? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think I was well, in China for six years, and then in Berlin, I've been here for about four and a half years. Yeah. Wow. Altogether, about five, about 10 years. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. And while you've been in, in uh, Berlin, you continue to work with projects in China, is that right? Uh, yes, yes and no. Some, yes, we have been working uh, also in, in projects in China, but I have also been running quite a large uh, project with the, the office doing mostly international projects, but basically around one main project and one ma- main project goal. But funny enough, we have started the, in the last year, we started a kind of Reemergence with China and doing projects in China, and kind of miraculous, miraculously, that has uh, happened in the last month to or month last two months to come to fruition. So we will start to do projects in China again, much much more actually. So what was it like in the beginning of 2020 with everything shutting down in China? Were like how was how were you? What kind of sense of uh, you know of that change going on over there were you getting uh, from Berlin? Yeah, I mean, I was. Uh, it was quite interesting because I could feel that it was quite serious. I have, of course, family and friends there who were talking about quite serious uh, problems in in China and you know really serious shutdowns. Not not only in Wuhan but across the whole country, whether. It was Shanghai or or Beijing. Everybody was really shut in, let's say. But at the same time, I'm in Berlin and uh, everybody is talking, uh, yeah, okay, uh, a few years ago, there was uh, many deaths from the flu, 20,000 or something in Europe, something like this. But I could feel that it was quite serious from China, for sure. So when you were in China, where where were you exactly? What city? Beijing, Beijing. Did it feel like the culture in China was kind of, because obviously China has taken measures that were quite effective. You know, people are already getting back to work. Did it feel like the culture there was kind of especially unique? Yeah, for sure. I mean, China has also got quite different history also. For example, when you talk about wearing a mask, yeah, wearing a face mask. In China, this is mm-hmm. this is quite normal, related to not only the SARS breakout quite a few years ago, but also um, just pollution. I mean, when I was there uh, in China, 
from 2009 or so, wearing a face mask just because of pollution was quite a normal thing. So there was a lot less barriers between people and Chinese people wearing just wearing a face mask, whereas in, in, in Europe or the West, I think people are still not really wearing masks. There's, there's a bit more resistance to it. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. they're coming around, but there's quite a lot more resistance to it, for sure. Yeah, it's funny here in, in L.A., when people first started wearing face masks, people I was people I were talk uh, that I was talking to about that, including my wife, even almost felt a little self conscious going out with face masks. A lot of people were saying like, mm. "Oh, I mean, I went to I had to go to the grocery store. I was the only one wearing a face mask, and I felt like like uh, maybe people thought I was being crazy, or <laughs> it's it's, it's, a, it's not it's not something people are used to doing here. But I mean, things have changed a lot in a couple of weeks here. So what's the situation like in Berlin right now? Uh, in Berlin, yeah, it's uh, it's okay. I, I think we have been on home office for about five weeks already, which mm-hmm. actually, to be honest, is much faster than I, I, I had imagined. It still feels like only two weeks, although uh, it is not so easy to, to be at home, for sure. Especially with kids, uh, it's really, really difficult. But in Berlin now, they just, or in Germany, they just announced this week that things are... Let's say they, they will start the schools back together in about two weeks' time. They will start slowly. So in a, I would say in about six weeks, my son will actually be back in school. But this will take... Uh, so they, they, they're they starting to find some normalcy in, in our lives, but it's still a few more weeks away. <laughs> for our yeah. office, for our office, we have been home for five five weeks. But even before then, the office was quite good in preparing for it. I think within... Three weeks before we were on home office, they had already prepared VPNs to work from home and uh, had a kind of plan for how to get people their computers at home. And, uh, you know, they were prepared for this. So I think actually the, the situation is quite good. And even I would say that I am quite confident in the in, in trusting the government, the German government, for what they're saying and how to, to react to that sort of thing. So I think they're, they're doing quite a good job. So what is the, how has it been like at Graft? Has there been any significant impact to the workload? I would say that it's it's not an extreme impact. There is impact. I would say that we are, we have not lost projects, but a lot of projects have been put on hold, but not in an extreme sense. Yeah. So uh, we also have gotten new projects in the last few weeks. So we kind of balance that out. We are, let's say, we are not as productive or as at capacity as we were before we we went on home office. It's still working quite a lot. Yeah, we're, we're we are able to compensate for it. So it, it's not so drastic yet. But that doesn't mean that won't happen in the next, I don't know, month or two. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, sometimes it takes a little while for things to trickle down, especially yeah. with architects, as we saw in the last big recession. What, what were mm. you doing back in uh, 2008, 2009, when we? <laughs> 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 that would that would describe my 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 last adventure. Yeah, basically, uh, I went to do my masters in London in 2007 to finish in summer of 2008. And I decided, well, you know, I'm an American and I've never really seen Europe. So I just traveled around Europe for about a month. And I, I did that. And I came back to the to the UK to get a job. And 
saw in the newspaper they were talking about run on banks and global recession, which I didn't really even know what that meant at the time. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I did, couldn't get a job after doing my master's degree. And then uh, I, uh, yeah, applied everywhere for the next few months, got some freelance work for a bit, and then finally got a job in China. And that, <laughs> so that, you, uh, that so defined the next the next years where I got, yeah, I, I went to China, worked in China for six years and also found a wife there and some children somehow and this kind of thing. <laughs> How many kids do you have? Uh, two, two so far. Two. So you've got a son. You mentioned your son is going to be returning back to school. You have a, a younger yeah. child as well? Yeah, and a, and a daughter. Uh, my son is going to be eight next, in a few days, and my daughter is uh, about is three and a half. So that's uh, that can be kind of challenging working from home with kids at that age. How are you guys managing? Yeah, it's it's not so easy. I mean, we have been off for five weeks so far, and uh, this week will be the end of the Easter holiday in Germany. So uh, the last two weeks are basically spring vacation for, for the kids or Easter vacation. And uh, they will be off for the next. Uh, so the first three weeks were basically the same as school. So we started early in the morning. I would sit down to do my work. My son would sit down to do his uh, schoolwork. And my daughter, who is only in kindergarten, she would run around and do crazy things. That worked yeah. out quite well for the first <laughs> two weeks or two and a half weeks. And then... Yeah, now now there's an Easter break and everybody's free and doing whatever they want. And yeah, it's not so easy. <laughs> I hear that. You know, and my kids are a little older than yours. And so they're a little bit more responsible for, for keeping themselves entertained. But it's getting hard. You know, it's uh, now that we're going on to uh, five or six weeks of, of this, everybody's getting a little stir crazy. So it's hard to it's hard to keep that balance. Is your wife, does she work in architecture? No, she does not. She's still at home. She wants to start uh, working soon, but so far hasn't, you know, it's it's just about the time to start looking for work when the, our daughter is in kin started kindergarten this year. And uh, yeah, <laughs> now it's going to be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, now it's it's tough time now. But but in a way, that's... that's uh, in a way, there's a silver lining that she was that she was already kind of uh, set up at home for for helping out at least while while you're trying to uh, get work done with kids running around. Um, definitely, definitely. So, uh, has the office had to make any any uh, any layoffs or furloughs or anything like that right now? Uh, not yet. Um, so far, we are okay. And so far, as far as I understand, I'm not 100% sure about this, the exact system. But in Germany, there is some support from the government also for businesses, small businesses like Kraft, to support uh, keeping people on for a shorter time. I think, for example, for myself, I am working not eight hours a day, but closer to, say, six hours a day. Because I, I, I could work more if I want, but um, I can't because the kids are crazy and not possible. Yeah. But the office has asked us to, let's say, be quite honest and quite straightforward about what we can do and what we cannot do. And uh, this can be supported by the government, although it's not, I, I, I don't know exactly all of the specific regulations and how it, how it actually works, but they are quite well supported by the government, let's say, like this. Well, that's good. I mean, here in the U.S., there have been uh, loan programs offered, but 
you know, the, the government has already run out of money. And it seems like the majority of, of small businesses that applied for those loans have not been been able to get anything. One of the things that came up, one of the topics that have come up quite a bit in, in the, the conversations that I've been having with people is that this recession is kind of showing signs of how work culture could, like kind of a work-life balance should be better integrated into everyday life once we kind of return back to a normal state. From your perspective, as an American who has worked in, uh, did you did you work at all in, in the U.S. after finishing at SciArc? Yeah, 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 yes. I worked okay, for so, I, I worked for five years in Los Angeles. Yeah. So you've worked you've worked almost equal times in Los Angeles, China, and in Berlin. Have you noticed? Yeah, that's uh, it's uh, yeah, it's kind of wild. Uh, have you have you noticed much of a difference in the way that the uh, the way that people work, like are people uh, and the way that that work is kind of balanced with with uh, outside uh, like personal life? between the three countries? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely. Um, I, I, so that's a, that's a long, that's a long question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, in general, we, we, besides the, the, the Corona pandemic problem we're dealing with now, I mean, obviously there's huge differences between balance of, uh, home life and work life between the U S between China and between Germany or let's say Europe, but especially Germany. I mean, the respect for um, your personal time and your amount of vacation and your amount of freedom to also deal with uh, kids and kindergartens and all of these things is much uh, is is quite strong in in Germany. It's not very strong in China, and only second to China is uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. But in this time now, I think um, I think it's quite interesting way of working now i mean you know i'm on zoom i let's say even before this happened i work mostly on international projects i'm in china and hong kong and all over asia all over europe whatever i'm mostly in in international projects and i spend my life on uh, uh telcos and phone calls and this kind of thing so for me it's not that big of a change to go from that to um to what we are now where it's where I was on the phone 50% of the time or on a, um, what do you call it? Uh, telco or, um, video conference. I was on, mm-hmm. before I, before this, I was on video conference 50% of my time in the office, let's say. Now it's 90% of my time. <laughs> so this is wow. not, for me, this is, this is not a big, this is not a big change and I'm, I'm quite used to this. This is quite normal. But I think now is what is very interesting is now I'm doing it from home and the openness about having children around, you know, popping into a, a, a video conference is, is, is so normal. And you get to see everybody's a little bit of their life. You know, they, you, you see their house a little bit. <laughs> I think this is all quite interesting. Yeah, it's, it's in a way, it's, it's kind of nice to... I've been listening to webinars every day about, you know, issues of, you know, this, these new SBA loans that the government is in, you know, ways of, ways of, uh, kind of optimizing applications and, and hearing heads of banks lead these webinars and, and you can hear their children in the background screaming at each other. It's, it's you know, it's, it's kind of nice. We're all, we're all doing this together and we're all struggling, you know, kind of balancing, uh, home and, and work life. 
at the same time. In in uh, Europe, do you feel like the do you think it's just kind of embedded into the culture that personal life is respected more so than than it is in other parts of the world, or do you feel like there's uh, some kind of component in in the way that the government or the economy is run that allows that opportunity? Yeah, it's both definitely. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. you have uh, you have support for this from the government, yeah, or or the I don't even know if it's I don't actually know if it's even the government or the the, the basic system, but you know, mm-hmm. if you're starting in in Germany, you'll get a five weeks vacation. That's your start. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and and that is uh, that is the start. That is uh, the way that you. That's what you just get somehow, and that is the first step towards this kind of understanding. So I don't know if that's supported by the government or if that's a regulation or if that is part of the culture, but definitely is part of the culture. And yeah, I, I I can feel it, but I don't know exactly how to describe it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like it's the kind of thing that a lot of businesses would probably want to implement in their own workplaces here in the U.S., but because it's not adopted na- at a national scale, it, it seems like there's always that kind of canary in a coal mine effect, you know, like if we if we scale back our expectations this much, are, are, will other companies start to do the same or will we just fall behind? <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, that's the, um, the. I think definitely there's a difference in uh, the understanding of what it means to give people uh, the time with their family and their time off uh, in in Germany or in, in Europe. Even it is understood that if you you respect people's time, you give them time to rest and to to take off, yeah. they will be more productive. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> that's there's a basic basic understanding of how. Uh, if you you give people time to free their mind from work, then they will actually be more productive when they are actually at work, and that's uh, much more important. So, are there? I mean, what what are you what are you observing among you know colleagues in Berlin right now in the in the architecture industry? Have you seen a, much of an impact so far? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm meeting only my my colleagues. Via Zoom these days, which is very interesting, uh-huh. and there's obviously a, a quite a, a break between some of the the younger um, guys or girls at the office and some of the older ones. And usually that means the the younger ones are at home alone, <laughs> or they have a roommate who they're not very close with, and that is a different type of understanding to people who have children at home or have a wife and children and a family at home. And I think that the, the the ones with families are a bit overwhelmed because it's too much. Yeah. But the kids, but the ones without kids are underwhelmed. They're bored. They want to do something. They want to yeah. get out. They're they're exploding inside. And I think that's a huge difference just on a personal level between the the, the different people. What about in terms of architects in in Berlin getting laid off or furloughed? We're seeing a lot of that in in the U.S. right now. We're obviously, expecting that to continue for a while. Is that are you seeing much of that in in Germany? So far, I have not seen it. I know that there are a lot of industries within Germany that are suffering. For example, uh, car manufacturing and retail and these things. But related to architects, I haven't. I haven't felt that yet. I haven't heard of 
honestly anybody who has been laid off yet. But I think again, it's still early times. I think when uh, when <laughs> when I remember, I also remember 2008. There was there was problems in the markets. Yeah, we all knew it. Yeah. yeah, we knew it was not going to last. But we didn't expect after four months that half the industry would be wiped out. This time might be the same. Maybe it's different. We don't know. <laughs> but I, 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 in Germany, I haven't really, I haven't really expected it. I haven't heard about it, and I also feel that there is support by the government. But at the same time, if it depends on what happens in the next months, what happens in the industry, if really all of these projects are on hold or are cancelled, if projects are getting cancelled, then we will have a problem. So far, no projects are cancelled. Everything is on hold. So let's see. <laughs> well, that's that. Yeah, that's great to hear. It's definitely, it's definitely a better situation than what we're seeing right now in the U.S. And hopefully, it'll stay like that. It's been great catching up with you, Casey. It's uh, I'm glad that we got a chance to talk. Likewise. So yeah, I mean that was that was great catching up with uh, with an old friend and hearing about what he's been up to. Unfortunately, a lot of us are catching up with old friends at at right now as we're all kind of sitting around uh, <laughs> thinking back on better days. But um, I, I thought he brought up some really interesting points. I mean, one of the things that that I that I really took away from this conversation was kind of the reinforcement of the of the idea that, you know, quality of life is really uh, highly prioritized in Europe, uh, especially in countries like well, I mean, I guess all over Europe, you know, he mentioned with his experience in both U.S. and China, it kind of really represents an extreme opposite from his experience in in uh, working in in Berlin, where the personal life is valued much more than kind of an overworked, you know, see how much you can milk out of your employees kind of kind of culture that that exists in in some countries like the U.S. and and China. Yeah. What did, what did you guys think? Yes, in architecture in particular, but in the U.S. in particular, too, we really emphasize uh, kind of working ourselves to death. And I, I'm hoping it's going to change. <laughs> you know, I really, yeah, I really wish we could start to value. And I, and my hope would be that a silver lining of this COVID situation, as I said about Daniel's, is that we will start to value things like just having a little quiet time with your family for a change rather than than constantly working ourselves as hard as we do. It really made me sort of pine for living in a different society, listening to Casey talk about Berlin. <laughs> Absolutely. It's interesting when, when, you hear, when I hear you both talk about it, and he's talking about Berlin, and I had to remind myself that, you know, Germany is part of a European Union, but yet this, this moment has really destroyed the concept of a European Union, where the people in Germany can really follow... Uh, a leader and and have have confidence that everyone is for the most part all on the same page, which came through in terms of his he just had it he had an easygoing conversation and and it almost bemused at the the kind of chaos that's happening over here because he's not suffering <laughs> with that kind of chaos yeah. you know he's not he's not i mean you know there's been some stuff happening lately, but by and large they have a social safety net that that they can depend on and that exactly. we use as a as a, as a as a tool for shaming people they use it as a tool for building up people and their culture over here we do just the opposite exactly yeah yeah i mean it's nice to be able to do what 
you're supposed to do for the good of the people without having to worry about going bankrupt or losing everything. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, uh, it is that's, nice. that's, one... that's such a dream, isn't it? All right. Well, on that note, that I, I think wraps up our second installment and uh, we will be following up with four more episodes, sharing conversations with the community. Donna, Ken, I hope you guys stay safe out in uh, the Midwest and, uh, and try to <laughs> try to try to scale back your, uh, your workload a little bit, Donna, I hope if, if possible. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to try, but also like Ken is starting a new job. When you start a new job, you always want to be 110%, right? So I think we're, Oh geez, it's crazy. You know, you're trying to, all the things that you're trying to fit in one week, you know, you're trying to, I mean, I know I'm working on schools, so it's not something I'm not familiar with. It's just, it's all of the finding stuff and making sure that it's where they said it was supposed to be and that it's being, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's really easy stuff. It's just the early stuff. is just always the most difficult stuff, which is, you know, orienting yourself to a new environment. Exactly. All right. Well, we'll talk to you guys in another week or two, right? Yeah. Maybe earlier than that. Well, thanks to everybody out there listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating us on iTunes and giving us a review. As always, stay tuned for four more episodes of our discussions with the community. And uh, thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.